It's Fire Away Friday. Fire Away Friday. On Exploring the Word, this is your chance to ask us your Bible question at 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. You can also email your question at word at AFR.net or visit Facebook.com slash Exploring the Word. Exploring the Word. It's Fire Away Friday on American Family Radio. Well, happy Friday. I'm Jim Stanley in for Brother Bert Harper today. I believe Bert's back on Monday. And I also have my good friend, Dr. Alex McFarland, who is out and about ministering this weekend. Where are you going to be, brother? Well, I'm back in North Carolina this weekend, Jim, after having been in Missouri uh, for most of this week. Uh, But Angie and I are very excited because we're prepping to fly to Memphis. Now, once we get to Memphis this weekend, guess where we're going to drive to Monday morning? I'm going to guess Tupelo. Tupelo, Mississippi. Now, for those that that don't know, Tupelo, which is the home of the American Family Radio Network and American Family Association, at least from where we come, uh, the best way to get to Tupelo is to fly to Memphis and then drive. So we're excited because Bert and I and you too, I hope, or we're going to do some recording and some other broadcasting Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday from from AFA. We are, and you know, since I know you're coming in on Monday, I'm going to do something for you that uh, I haven't had the opportunity or didn't think far enough ahead. Brother, I believe I'm going to smoke you some pork Sunday night so it'll be fresh for you for lunch on Monday. Oh, man. Well, now you know I have the spiritual gift of eating. That's right. That's and right. it's one of the rare gifts. Not everybody gets it. <laughs> but uh, listen, you're so kind. Uh, you and Colette are so sweet. But um, how about you? Are you preaching somewhere Sunday, Jim? I am not. Now, I'm available. I have boots. We'll travel. But uh, yes. no, I yeah. don't have any plans for this weekend. So. Hey, I got I to gotta share something. And by the way, folks, this is Fire Away Friday on Exploring the Word. And the number, now we do all calls, all of the hours. So your Bible questions, we would love to hear from you today. The number is 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. Um, Jim, you know I love history. And many people might have heard of, of a missionary named C.T. Studd who was a great missionary to India and much of the world, probably about 140 years ago. Does that name ring a bell, C.T. Studd? No, sir, I'm sorry, it doesn't. Well, Charles, I think his middle name might have been Townsend, I'm not sure, but Charles T. Studd, he was one of what came to be known as the Cambridge Seven. These were seven uh, young men at Cambridge University, Ivy Leaguers, and they were set for, you know, wealth and success. But in 1884, on this day, uh, C.T. Studd asked a friend uh, if they could get together and pray. Now, seven guys from Cambridge started what came to be known as the China Inland Mission, CIM. And so C.T. Studd and a friend named Stanley Smith uh, got together to pray for world missions. Now, a lot of people may know the, the first half of the 20th century, and really the 20th century, was an amazing hundred years of world missions, and there's a lot of great missions going on now. But today is the anniversary of a prayer meeting of two college students that ultimately sparked a great revival and spread throughout England and uh, Edinburgh and Cambridge. And England and Europe needs another revival. America certainly needs a revival. We really do. But you know what? I think about this, Jim. What we think humanly are small things, God can fan into big, big things. And I don't know. I was just thinking about this. Really, in terms of India, China, taking the gospel to unreached frontiers, today is a significant historical day because two guys started a prayer meeting that they, they were convinced that they were a flop, but it ignited a movement of world missions mm. that literally lasted for 100 years. Maybe today, Jim, a couple of people are feeling led to pray for the USA and pray for the Spirit of God to move in this prodigal nation. And maybe in today's uh, edition of Exploring the Word, we'll uh, turn our hearts and our thoughts toward Jesus 
And once again, let's seek a move of God's Holy Spirit that would change our nation and ultimately change history. Amen. Um, and that's that's a great great way to think, and we need to do that too. Triple eight five eight nine eighty eight forty. Triple eight. 589-8840 is the number to call with your Bible questions this afternoon. And Alex, before we go to the phones, uh, I have a young lady who emailed several questions in to us, and yeah. I, I want to look at just one of them, um, and then I'll go back through the email later and try and answer some of the others. But this one I found interesting because it's one I had not thought of before, before I and I guess mainly because I presumed as to what the answer would be. So here you go. Okay. Did Satan get the Garden of Eden after the fall of Adam and Eve from the garden? And if so, is he able to visit or talk with God as they did? Now, my presumption was when God expelled Adam and Eve from the garden, he expelled Satan from the garden as well. And for some of the same reasons that he expelled Adam and Eve, you know, because they had eaten from the tree of, of good and evil. And so mm -hmm. before they had the chance to eat from the tree of life, God had had basically said, okay, you got to go. And he had given some of the, the things that would happen to them. And then God set uh, an angel to guard the entrance to the garden. And so that's why I said when my presumption Satan was expelled at the same time because we know in other places that Satan has been able to approach God, but it right. never referred to it as the garden. What are your thoughts? Well, you, you got it right. And hey, what a, what a very insightful question. You know, in Genesis 3, 23 and 24, Genesis 3, 23 and 24, okay, Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden. And remember, God said, you're going to have to go and till the ground, and by the sweat of your brow you'll grow your food. But um, in verse 24 of Genesis 3, it says that God, God put this angel with a flaming sword, cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every which way to keep Adam and Eve and their children away from the tree of life, because, you know, if they had in their fallen state eaten from the tree of life, I mean, maybe they would be in some kind of unredeemable state. And so, honestly, driving Adam and Eve away from the tree of life was an act of mercy. But no, Satan did not, quote, get the Garden of Eden. Now, where is that garden now? I don't think we can definitively know because, Jim, the, the flood of Noah, Genesis 11, you know, the flood disrupted the, the land. I mean, they were right. breaking breaking apart of some land masses, Many scholars think the Garden of Eden might be in what is now modern-day Iraq. But um, what about Satan? Can he approach God? Well, Job 1, apparently he can get within shouting distance. Right. Because he accused Job. But let me just say this very clearly. Um, Satan is a bad dog on a short leash. <laughs> I, I mean, you Amen. know what I'm saying? That's good. He, That's good. He, he can't do anything that God forbids, and believe me, God is in control, and Satan has boundaries that he cannot go beyond. Amen. All right, let's let's go to the phones now, and thank you for that, Alex. I I like the like that answer. We're going to talk to Donald from Louisiana. Donald, good afternoon. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Hello. Hello. How are you? Doing well. Uh, I'm on the air. You yes, are. Sir. Okay. Uh, my question is uh, about Freemasonry in the church. Uh, secret society, a uh, lot of, very well unified with lots of power. And um, uh, just what does the word say about such an organization inside the church? I have my own opinions, but um, I'll just uh, hang up and listen to your comments on that. Well, Donald, we appreciate that question this afternoon. Alex, I, I have to confess, I don't know that much about uh, Masons or Freemasonry. Uh, when I was a, a young man with the Salvation Army, there were a couple of friends that I respected deeply who were, and they invited me to join. But I just felt, I, for me, it was a feeling that that wasn't for me. I didn't have any yeah. uh, 
great spiritual, you know, knowledge of why it wasn't. It was just for me, it didn't seem like it was something that I needed to do. But what about the question that he asked about it being uh, in the structure or how it fits in the church? Wow. Well, hey, let me say this, that uh, this can be a somewhat volatile topic because, and, and I know I've been asked to speak on it, and when I have spoken on it, sometimes people get a little upset because um, on the one side, and my, my short answer is I, I, I don't believe in it. I, I'm against it, and I've got a lot of reasons why. But let me say, I know that Masons— they do some philanthropic things, and they've done things on behalf of children. And what I'm not saying, folks, please hear me carefully, I'm not saying that those in Masonry are calculatingly evil. I'm not saying that they don't do some good things. They do do some good things. But um, when I was in graduate school, Jim, we were going through some of my grandfather's personal effects, and we found a Masonic pin. And I asked, what is this? My grandmother told me that she said that belonged to your granddaddy, and he was a Mason. And I thought, well, what is that? So I began to study, and actually when I was in, um, you know, a master's program, I, I I spent two or three years in deep, deep study of Masonry and wrote nearly a 100-page paper on it. That being said, and and I'm only speaking for Alex here, but I don't think that a Christian man should be a Mason. Now, I believe there are men that are saved, and they love the Lord, and they're also involved in Masonry. Um, in my opinion, though, if you're following Jesus, Jesus Christ needs to be number one. And and in all my study of Masonry, it um, I, I know that it's been kind of a, a social organization that does you know, philanthropic things. But, I mean, they, they have doctrine. It is v- very much a religious doctrine, and it is a doctrine not compatible with New Testament Christianity. And I say that, Jim, as one who, I mean, I, I personally interviewed several dozen current and former Masons. I spent several years doing a real deep dive in this. I'm not going to belabor the point um, I, I know I've got more Masonic content memorized than you could imagine. Mm. Not because I believe it. I, I think if you're serving Jesus, you're not going to have time for it. And doctrinally, it's incompatible. Uh, thank you, Alex. I appreciate that. That was my thoughts as well. Uh, way back, way back when, <laughs> uh, because it's more important to serve Christ than it was to serve man. Stick around, folks. Your questions and more coming up next on AFR. John Bunyan's epic masterpiece, streaming now. We have to get out, Christiana. It says so in this, and I believe it in here. You're asking me and the children to follow you beyond the borders. It's this weight. The Pilgrim's Progress. Keep that light in your eye and go straight towards it. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep on the straight path. This Christmas, experience the most important journey your family may ever take. I will not fail him. You deceiver. You liar. You will go no further. Streaming now free only for a limited time. Visit afa.net forward slash pilgrims. That's afa.net forward slash pilgrims. How do you measure a counselor's wisdom? Dr. Tony Evans says that for some people, the scale is how much they think like you think. He'll explain why that metric doesn't work with Jesus, the wonderful counselor, as we spend two minutes with Tony. God's not going to counsel you if you already coming with your solution. See, some folk go to counselors to get an endorsement. Some folk go to counsel to get somebody to agree with them. They don't go to counsel to get counseling. They go to counseling to get an okay for the decision they've already made. And that's why if the counselor doesn't give them the decision that they've already made, they look for another counselor. And they will go from counsel to counsel to counsel until they find the agreeing one. 
If you come to the wonderful counselor and you already got your decision made, you will get no new information from him. Because his knowledge is hidden from the proud. So if you already know it, why are you coming? So if you want the wonder of his counseling, if you want this name to work for you, then you are going to have to recognize that he knows more than you do about everything. He is a magnificent counselor, but only if you're coming to him to adjust what you think to what he says. Without that adjustment, he will be of no benefit to you. Wonderful Counselor is just one of the descriptive names used for Jesus in the Bible. There are more, and they reveal a lot about who Jesus is and how he wants to relate with us. Check out Tony's book, The Power of Jesus Names, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. What a wonderful season of the year it is, the month of December. And, of course, we're thinking about the coming of Christ, the birth of Jesus, our Savior, the light of the world. And I hope this month is very special as you draw near to Christ and represent Him. And this is a show we hope it will help you in your walk and witness. It's Exploring the Word. The number is 888-589-8840. Jim Stanley and Alex McFarland here to take your calls and Bible questions. We'd be honored to hear from you today. Amen. Let's talk to, well, I thought I, oh, here we go. Let's talk to James calling from Iowa. James, good afternoon. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Good afternoon. Y'all staying warm down there? Doing our best. How about you? Y'all got snow yet? Yeah, we just got seven inches last night, so we're uh, we're take we're taking the snowmobiles out of the shed. Oh wow, wow! Uh, you know, I'll be up in Iowa August one and two at the Cedar Rapids Bible Conference, and that's a long way away. But uh, we have a lot of great friends up in Iowa. But uh, what's your question today? Yeah, so I'm uh, I went to Bible college uh, last year for a one year certificate, and the school did not indoors or the school was uh unlimited atonement which i agree with but there were some people there who had a a doctrine of limited atonement and i have some friends around here who uh would agree with that and i was just wondering uh what your thoughts were and biblical passages that address that alex i'll 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 ask you to dig down on that but first uh, i want to look at romans 5 8 through 10 But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, pardon me, then, you know, why should, to me, that that speaks of a, a complete, unabated atonement that what the what christ paid was once and for all and we read about that in hebrews but alex you know if we say the that the atonement that christ paid for is limited it almost sounds like we're we're shortening his power we're shortening Mm -hmm. his glory and we're shortening his arm that there are some that he can't reach well exactly and by the way Brother, thank you for making this question today, because this is a really important topic. Now, the the atonement refers to the fact that on the cross, Jesus paid for our sins, that, that our guilt was laid on Jesus, and we put our trust in Jesus, and the, the punishment that we deserved 
we are forgiven and absolved of because the Lord paid our debt on Calvary's cross. I want to give you two scriptures that I, I believe the atonement was was unlimited. Jesus died for the whole wide world, not merely for the elect, for some subset of the human race. But I'm going to give you an Old Testament and a New Testament. And let's unpack this just a bit. Isaiah 53, 6. Isaiah 53, 6 in the Old Testament says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. A-double-L. Then I want to give you a New Testament scripture that says that um, 2 Corinthians 5.15, He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Say all, A-double-L. Now, Jim, the, the reasoning goes like this. For those who believe in what are called limited atonement, They've got one verse, and that's 1 Timothy 4.10. They'll say um, that we have hope in the living God, the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So they'll, they'll say, well, see, Jesus is the Savior only of those who believe. And, and that's true. Uh, we don't believe in universalism, that everybody goes to heaven. And we do acknowledge that... To go to heaven, you have to believe on Jesus, mm-hmm. obviously. But um, very often, 1 Timothy 4.10 is used to try to legitimize that Christ only died for the elect. Now, let me tell you how they'll say this, because I've had dozens of conversations. They'll say, well, isn't the blood of Jesus the most precious substance in the whole universe? They'll, and I'll say, of course. And they'll say, do you mean to tell me that God the Father would waste uh, and cheapen and devalue his son, that Christ would die for some who would reject him. And so since God would not allow the the devaluing of the most precious thing in the universe, the blood of Christ, Christ, when he died, it was only for the elect. I think I, I've got an analogy of my own. Jim, think about a sinking ship, and you've got, uh, here comes a, a lifeboat. Let's say that lifeboat is worth a million dollars. And there's 500 people drowning, and that lifeboat could hold them all. That lifeboat could hold 10 times that many. And you say, get in the, get in the lifeboat, you're going to drown. And some of those 500 people say, nope, I think I can swim to the shore on my own strength. I'm going to take my chances. I refuse the lifeboat, and I'm going to try to make it to land on my own. And they drown. That lifeboat was still worth a million dollars even if some people were foolish enough to reject being rescued by mm-hmm. it. There's a lot more I could say. I don't mean to slander anybody, but no, when Christ died for the cross, when John 3.16 says, for the whole world, First um, John 2.2, 2, Jesus paid for the, the sins of all. It says, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Je- Jesus' death on the cross makes it possible that all could be saved, though sadly we know that not all are saved. Amen. Uh, that's good stuff. And uh, James, I hope that helps this afternoon, uh, and I hope that helps you when you're talking with your friends as well. Have a great weekend. Talking to Tina from Texas now. Tina, good afternoon. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Hi. Thank you. I love you guys. <laughs> This isn't a necessarily a biblical question. Um, I was just listening to the news before your program came on, and uh, <clears throat> they were uh, talking about a library that wasn't going to have a Christmas tree this year because somebody walked in and they walked in and they were offended by the Christmas tree, but the library still celebrates the fourth of July, Pride Month, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, you know, and then you hear about um, uh, Drag Queen Story Hour, but Kirk Cameron can't read his new book. It is so frustrating to me, and I don't, I, I don't know, I just needed to talk to somebody, and I just want to go, what if y'all are wrong? Uh, well, they are wrong as far as not believing in Christ, 
And it, and it's like, why do we even have the holiday where all these people are off if they're not going to celebrate why we even have it? Does, do you understand what I'm saying? I do, Tina. And this, you know, this has become more and more popular with the um, commercialization of Christmas, as you will. If you will, Christmas is no longer celebrated as just the birth of Christ. But the commercialization of Christmas has moved that message away from the gift that was given in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago to the gifts that one gives to family and friends. Now, as far as the library in Massachusetts uh, and people feeling uncomfortable, this is becoming the new norm. Um, Alex, there was a, a restaurant just the other day uh, that canceled reservations for Christian group that was coming in to to have a dessert dessert reception, you know, and so that's just another. I really believe it's a sign of the times. If they're worried about Christmas offending someone, but they're not worried about uh, Pride Month offending someone, then that's that's where we're coming to. There was a great uh, editorial in the USA Today yesterday, I think that dealt with the restaurant, and some of those same points could be applied to Massachusetts. Now, Alex, I know you don't shy away from politics, and generally we reserve this time for, um, you know, biblical questions, but this in and of itself is is kind of a biblical question because of what it's doing to the heart of men and women around the world as they become more and more skittish about sharing their faith. Well, it's very unfortunate because, um, let me say, this is why Christians need to run for city council mm-hmm. and be elected. And, you know, you're right, Jim. We, we try our best to keep exploring the Word about Scripture and, you know, the Word of God and being a disciple. But um, let me say, in three different major court cases, secular humanism was deemed to be a religion by by uh, not only federal but state courts as well. And what's what's unfortunate is, in the case of public libraries, look, public libraries are municipalities, just like, you know, the, the county courthouse and, you know, um, the zoning boards and things like that. So public libraries are funded by taxes and revenue from the municipality in which they operate. And let me say this, librarians... And library professionals are civil servants, just like policemen, just like county commissioners and things like that. And what's so sad is all of these libraries that are uh, denying Christmas, distorting history, they're supporting any and every delusional ideology that comes along from Drag Queen Story Hour to Kwanzaa uh, to Ramadan and things like that, and yet at the same time engaging in the suppression, viewpoint discrimination, suppressing Christianity, forbidding uh, Christian books like Kirk Cameron to be read in the public library. These, these public librarians may not realize it, but they work for the people. Uh, public means public, and libraries are funded by the, the taxes of the citizens. And, and I realize, Jim, we, we Christians are generally a pretty polite group, and we don't like a, a, a scuffle and a scrap, and we don't want to, you know, act in a way that's unchristlike. But, um, you know, Americans across the fruited plain and in every hamlet, city, and town, you're going to have to roll up your sleeves mm-hmm. because the future of the country hangs in the balance. We're going to have to run for city council. We're going to have to go to meetings, and we're going to have to uh, say regarding regarding the singling out of Christianity and morals to be suppressed and censored. These librarians need to know uh, how how their paycheck gets written, and these librarians need to know that in America we do not have censorship. Mm. We're not a fascist Marxist country, at least not yet. Uh, And we need to pray for our country and politely but uh, decisively get involved. Now, fortunately, we've got shows like the Hamilton Corner. Mm -hmm. We've got partners like Tony Perkins and FRC 
and Alliance Defending Freedom. We, we've got a lot of great resources to help us be equipped and make a difference, but we need uh, all hands on deck to get involved, don't we, Jim? We sure do, and, and thinking back to the case in Massachusetts, this might be the ex, an excellent time for someone to get a hold of their alderman, for someone to get a hold of the mayor's office, and then get your friends to do the same thing. If you want to turn that around in your community, the way you do that is to get involved. And it often begins with a grassroots effort. And so, uh, Tina, I hope that helps answer some of your questions this afternoon. And uh, at the very least, I think you at least now know where we stand. So, uh, have a, yeah, have a great weekend and God bless. Well, Texas seems to be the place to be today. So we're going to talk to Danny calling from Texas. Danny, welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you very much, y'all. I appreciate it so much. Alex, I have a question for you. Um, when family members who know Jesus as a personal Savior, they pass away, and like Paul said, that absent from the body is be present with the Lord. And uh, when the thief on the cross, um, uh, Jesus said, you, you will be with me in paradise, that means our spirit goes to heaven, right? Yes, yes, I believe okay. that. That's Second now, Corinthians 5.8. So what I need, what I'm trying to find out and see, and I don't can't find in the Bible, the spirit that is in heaven knows that Jesus is there and God's there. Does the spirit know, up there know that other family members are there or not? Uh, great question. Um, l- let me say this. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says that uh, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience the race set before us. Um, hold on to that thought of Hebrews 12, and then uh, I want to mention also Matthew 17, because the question is, you know, will we know our loved ones in heaven? And I believe the answer is absolutely yes. And the, uh, the other side of that question is, do our loved ones in heaven know what's going on down here now? Um, Jim, I, I think partially our loved ones in heaven, they, they may actually know a little bit about what's going on down here. Because, you know, if you, in the book of Revelation, those in heaven that were martyred seemed to have at least some insight into the things that were going on on earth. Um, the Hebrews 12 passage, you know, indicates that they, they witness a little bit. But, you know, Peter, James, and John, they saw Moses and Elijah in Matthew 17, and they knew who they were. We're going to know each other in heaven, and uh, that's a grand promise, isn't it? Sure is. Folks, 888-589-8840 is our phone number, and we'll answer your Bible questions as Exploring the Word continues on AFR. The war for the souls of our children is perhaps no more greatly seen than in the sinister attack on boys through the feminizing of the American male. I'm Sam Rohr, host of Stand in the Gap Weekend, heard Sunday from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Time. Join APN's Dr. Jamie Mitchell and Trail Life USA President Mark Hancock as they carefully considered not only the attack on our young boys, but one solution to recapturing masculinity in young men. Sunday from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Time. As Christians, we cannot redefine marriages because ours do not turn out according to God's standard. We have to aim for the mark. And the mark, it's not happily ever after. This is a picture of Christ in the church. So God has invited us as two individuals becoming one Mm -hmm. to be a living billboard of what he did for us. Airing the Addisons, weekday afternoons at 2 Central on American Family Radio. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses, just watching your hard-earned dollars flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare has a new option. It's called MediShare 65+. Plus. And MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills. It really is a community, too. People encourage and pray for each other. 
MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. It's a great way to fight inflation, too. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years, and you can use your Medicare-approved doctor, and you also get telehealth 24-7 service, so you don't have to leave your home for the little stuff. Very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're easy to talk to. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Forty days of twice-daily taunting from Goliath sent Saul and the Israelite army reeling in fear. But David's passion for Yahweh, conviction, and full persuasion stirred King Saul. When people are on fire for God, it often provokes others to glob on to that fire. But we must be careful to resist the well-meaning overtures of the flameless bystanders. Saul meant well, but his armor couldn't help. It would only slow David down. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. What a great reminder in song that Jesus is our defender. And, you know, sometimes, Alex, for us, our everyday walk in Christ, sometimes, you know, we tend to forget that and we try to take up battles that aren't ours to take up. Yeah, I know. And we need to rest in him. He's our shield and our defender. And uh, uh, the battle is the Lord's, not ours, isn't it? It sure is. Let's talk to Richard calling from Georgia now this afternoon. Richard, I I think you were on hold yesterday, and we weren't able to get to your question, so I'm glad you called back today. Thank you very much. Thank Welcome. you for taking my call, guys. Yeah. Hey, I've got um, a thought that's always been popping up in my mind. I mean, of the 12 post-resurrection um, apostles, Paul is the only one of being recorded as being baptized. Were the other 11 had to have been baptized? They should have, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, water baptized, and you remember um, Jesus was um, baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. Uh, let, let me say, though, that uh, I don't know if all of the apostles were baptized, um, because, um, you know, baptism is really, water baptism is a way of identifying, yes, with Christ and with the local church. Now, Baptism in the New Testament is used in two senses. In the book of Galatians, chapter 3, it speaks of of us being baptized into Christ. And what that means is, in Galatians 3, uh, 24 and following, is that when we are born again by putting our faith in Jesus, we become one with Christ, and says that as many as believe are baptized into Christ. But... And it goes on, it says that again in verse 27, that we're baptized into Christ. But then water baptism is, it's almost like wearing a wedding ring that we are, you know, the wedding ring wasn't what got us married, but it shows that we are married. And water baptism is the way that we identify with the local church. We publicly show forth the... uh, the relationship with Jesus Christ that came inside. Um, So that is a uniquely, well, let me say water baptism, believer's baptism, we often call it, is a unique part of the church. So, Jim, it doesn't tell us if all the apostles were baptized, uh, and I don't know that they would have 
had to have been because that was really more part of the church age than Christ's ministry down here on on earth. Mm-hmm. I agree. It, it, you know, there are things that we know and there are things we don't know. Uh, the scripture points out that Paul was baptized and there is evidence of others, but it's not really one of those things that we, ha- I don't, I don't think we have to know because again, baptism is an expression of a relationship with Christ. It doesn't determine that relationship with Christ. And, and yeah. so we have to be careful of that. And let me say one last thing, and I don't mean to belabor the point, but in Acts chapter 9, what's very interesting is, notice, because I, I know that we have friends that listen to this show, and, and I, I don't mean to start up controversy, but we have people, because I get the emails, and they'll say that, you know, you got to be water baptized to be saved. But if you look at Acts 9, 17, and 18, Paul was saved and got the Holy Spirit. So he was born again and was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he goes, in verse 18, after his conversion, and Paul is baptized. So he was already saved and then got water baptized. Uh, So my point being, I think water baptism is a wonderful thing. Jim, after I was saved, I... And I joined Macedonia Baptist, uh, and there was this. I went through New Believers class, and then I was water baptized. But it wasn't the water baptism that saved me; it was repentance and belief in the Lord Jesus. Amen, amen. Well, let's talk to Jackie calling from West Virginia. Is that? Pardon me. Try that again. With uh, talk with Jackie calling from West Virginia this afternoon. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. I really listen. I really like listening to you guys. Um, I've been going to a Catholic church for about 10 years. I was Baptist raised. My dad was a Baptist preacher. Uh, God led me there, and uh, um, the other day, I went to back to church, and God wanted me to speak the truth. I told him that I, I was tired of denying Jesus, and that I had to speak the truth about we have to be ready for Jesus Christ. We have to be saved. Uh, we have to, because he's coming back, that there is a heaven and hell. And I, I went through all the scripture. I'll make it short. And I told Jesus, I said, if this was really you and you meant me to do this, let me know. When I got home, I had a lady from church that's been a Catholic all her life say that, Jackie, that you touch me. I've never heard scriptures before. Would you help me? Uh, tell me how I should start reading the Bible. Well, I knew I wanted to do the right thing. I knew y'all maybe had a book of 12 questions of the Bible. Um, how can I help this lady uh, begin her journey with Jesus? Jackie, that... Mm is a fantastic testimony and a, and a great question. I, I will say this. Um, there are a lot of believers in the Catholic Church. I, I want to be clear about that. Um, they, they know who Christ is. They believe who Christ is. They've accepted who Christ is. And so we, we want to, and I say that simply because uh, it's the truth, for one. But now in answer to your specific questions, Alex, uh, you and Bird just had a book released last year, I think, and have another one coming up next year. We we do, and, and God bless you, sister. God bless you. Um, Bird and I wrote a book called 100 Bible Questions and Answers, and I mean, it's super easy to find. It's on all the major online booksellers, and it's in local Christian bookstores, and it's in, you know, stores like Barnes & Noble, too. 100 Bible Questions and Answers. And then, uh, in fact, just today I was uh, emailing the publisher because we're working on the, the the text for the back cover for the next one. It'll be out, and, and it'll be a part of share next September, but it's called 100 More Bible Questions and Answers. Now, that being said, Bird and I wrote something as part of that book called What Does God Say About My Relationship with Him? And it's on my website. I'm not trying to promote my website. But look, if you go on alexmcfarland.com, 
we put this part of the book, and it's going to be in volume two as well. And I want to tell you why that I mention this. Because what Bert and I did, we go through something called the Apostles' Creed, uh, which is a very old statement of belief. 1,800 years, people have been, you know, Protestant, Catholics, Greek Orthodox, all strata of Christendom have recited the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Mm. And we go through the gospel and how you can personally know Jesus. So if you go and go to my website, alexmcfarland.com, just look for this tab, What Does God Say About My Relationship With Him? It's also in Spanish, and and you'll find it, and it might help you disciple this lady and others. Hey, Jackie, stay on the line. Um, uh-huh. Robert is going to put you on hold, and we're okay. going to send you a copy of the 100 question and answers uh, Bible questions that Alex and Bert wrote, and uh, we'll, we'll send you a copy of that uh, and hope that that will help in your walk as well. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks for your courage in standing for Christ. Let's talk to Juan calling this afternoon. Juan from Virginia. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Hi. Uh, thank you so much for your program. I love it. I've been trying to call for a long time. I finally got through. <laughs> well, um, amen. My question, yes, my question is, um, so I was uh, overseas uh, talking to my mother, who is a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, we, we all uh, we were initially Catholic, uh, then she converted to Jehovah's Witness, and I do remember them teaching us the uh, Old Testament. They, they do focus a lot on the Old Testament. Um, but uh, my question to you is, I, I try to witness to her about the truth of scriptures, and uh, they take little, uh, they take a few lines, and they start, and then they use their own scriptures, and so it's very difficult to break through. How, how would I best witness to her about the uh, truth of the of uh, Christ and the scriptures, our scriptures? Wow. Well, God bless you, and I hope you yourself have uh, trusted Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. Uh, You know, it's interesting, Jim. Um, In the middle of the 19th century, there was what's called the Second Great Awakening, and the Second Great Awakening was different than the First Great Awakening. I'll tell you why. The First Great Awakening under Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and the Wesleys was um, less emotional and more scriptural. But the Second Great Awakening was much, much more emotional and less scriptural. And I'm not saying that good things didn't come out of it, but one of the things that came out of the Second Great Awakening were, were two big, big organizations. One is called the Watchtower Bible Tract and Society, and the other is called the LDS Church. And both the, the Mormon Church and the Jehovah's Witness, which are direct outflows of the Second Great Awakening, which was not very biblical and very much emotional and, you know, the, the ideas of man rather than the revelation of God. Um, let, let me just say one of the things that I found in helping get through to a Jehovah's Witness is that they believe the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society is the voice of God on earth nowadays. And they... Among other things, the Watchtower has predicted the end of the world in like 1925, and about eight or nine times over the 20th century, they predicted the end of the world, and the end of the world never came. And then their copy of the Scripture called the New World Translation, they've had to go through hundreds and hundreds of revisions because they so egregiously misrepresented the Greek and Hebrew text of the Bible. So try to help them understand that the Watchtower is not the voice of God on earth, and in fact has been shown to be incorrect many times. But two websites I would recommend, and I know these people, um, one is C-A-R-M, CARM, stands for Christian Apologetics Research Ministries, Matt Slick. He was a student at SES where I was president. Jim, does uh, are you familiar with Matt Slick and the C-A-R-M website? Yes, sir. Good people. Good people. The other that I think might help you is a website called Watchman Fellowship. Watchman Fellowship. And they've got free resources with 
dozens, everything from, I mean, every, every false religion you've ever heard of, they explain what it is, the facts, and how to witness to them. And I would encourage you, the best tool of all, of course, also is prayer, maybe even fasting and prayer to mm. spiritually break through. Amen. Well, let's talk to Barry, see if we can get his question in. Barry, good afternoon. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Hi, thank you for taking my call. <clears throat> I just have a question very quickly regarding uh, for Alec regarding something he said earlier. I'm referring to uh, Gospel of John, chapter 12, um, verse 37. Uh, Though he had done many signs before them, they still do not believe him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And that word is regarding the hardening of hearts by God. Now, um, my question is, how does that um, reconcile with what Alec was referring to earlier um, uh, in terms of uh, universal atonement? Yeah, like um, if, if God purposely hardened their hearts, is, is that kind of what you're asking? Yes, as in yeah. Pharaoh, for example. Yeah, and, and let me just say that... Um, I do think that uh, really, the Bible, you know, the Bible says God is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish. Um, would all be saved if they were to soften their heart, turn to Christ, and believe in Jesus? Y- yes, all could be saved. But in a way, uh, the hardening of hearts, you might could say that God hardened their hearts inasmuch as he created the world, the human race, free will, and uh, all these circumstances. Just like this, if somebody, uh, you know, jumps off of a building and hits the ground, is it God's fault or is it their fault? Well, um, God did it in the sense that he created gravity, but they did it in the sense that they uh, disregarded uh, wise counsel. Don't go up on that roof. Uh, Truth. If you try to take a selfie on that cliff, you might fall, you know. So actually, really, people harden their own hearts by rejecting the overtures of the Holy Spirit. And, yeah, the two words, though, that will help us understand this are the words proximate and ultimate. In a proximate sense, close proximity, we do it to ourselves. We have free will. In an ultimate sense, yes, God did it. He's the creator of all. But here's what we want to say is that God had a, a, a reason to give us a free will because it's free will and our choice to choose him that enables us to legitimately have a relationship with God. So people are responsible for their own condemnation if they reject Jesus. Amen. Alex, thanks for letting me hang out with you again today. It's been a lot of fun. Well, you're a blessing. Hey, folks, thanks for listening. Be in church on Sunday and take somebody to church. Bring them under the sound of the gospel. That's the right thing to do, isn't it, Jim? Absolutely is. So as you do that, take time to tell someone about exploring the Word. But to reinforce what Alex said, take time to tell everyone about Jesus and then help disciple them as well. Have a great weekend. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.